0: And Nerds presents Publishing Insider.
1: Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. You're listening to the new spin-off series Publishing Insider, where we talk to publishers, agents, and people involved in the publishing industry to give you an in-depth insight into the secret business of publishing. Today we welcome an agent from Curtis Brown, Australia's oldest and largest literary agency representing a diverse range of Australian and New Zealand authors. Curtis Brown sources works by young and emerging writers and also represents the interests of many established clients and literary estates. I'm your host Danny V and on deck we have trusty co-host Children's author, Adrian Beck.
0: Hi, Danny. So excited about the Publishing Insider <laughs> series. We're getting a lot of good reactions so far, finding out all the secrets, uh, putting these wonderful people under the pump a little bit. Not that we will, with Fiona. We'll, we'll go easy on Fiona. and Actually, we'll just say we'll go easy, listeners, but we're going to go hard. Okay. <laughs> Today, we welcome Fiona Inglis. She's a managing director and an agent from Curtis Brown. And Fiona started in publishing, working for the Australian branch of UK publisher Routledge and Keegan-Paul and then worked for head office in London for two years. In the mid-80s, began working for Allen & Unwin in sales, then as an editor on their fiction list. Following that, she was a year at HarperCollins as publisher of literature, and then she joined Curtis Brown as an agent in 1993 and oversaw the purchase of Hicks & Associates in 1999 when she became managing director. She was the founding president of the Australian Literary Agents Association. Welcome to the podcast, Fiona
1: Inglis. Thank you for having me. That was pretty impressive, that bio, I must say.
2: It's not even made up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a relief. (laughs) To get us started, Fiona, can you tell us a little bit about Curtis Brown? I did mention a little bit at the beginning and your role as an agent for Curtis Brown.
2: Sure. Well, Curtis Brown started in London in 1899 um, and then my predecessor, Tim Curnow, set up in Australia in the early 70s. Um, he started with a really small, probably a handful of, of clients at that stage because there were no other agents in Australia. But it's over the last 50 years, it's grown obviously to um, a, a much bigger agency. We now have probably over 400 clients, I would think. Wow. Look, they're not all writing at, all the time. I mean, there's probably 200 active clients. But but right. instead of having one person, i.e. Tim Kerno, looking after um, all those people, we now have four full-time agents and a support staff of four as well. So, hmm. yeah, it's a much bigger enterprise.
0: Huge. It's huge enterprise. Um, now, here's the obvious question when we're talking about Curtis Brown and agents and all that sort of stuff. Why should a writer seek an agent?
2: It's an obvious question, but it's also a really good question. Um, and I've always said there are two main classes of writer that should seek an agent. Yep. One, is probably the obvious one, which is people uh, writers trying to get a foot in the door. It's hard, and it's much harder now than it was thirty years ago when you actually had to bang out a manuscript and an old manual typewriter. Now hmm. you can just download a "How do I write a novel?" off the internet hmm. <laughs> and whack it out on your on your computer. And of course, you know, there's no such thing as carbon paper or, or, or Tipex. It's just I'll move these <laughs> I'll move these paragraphs around and get my my uh, computer program to show me how to do it. Um, so it's 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 much easier to to bang out 80,000 words but for that reason there are way more people doing it and the right. competition is much 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 tougher than it mm. was when Patrick White was writing his uh, manuscript on his manual typewriter mm. in apparently single spaced on Onion skin paper. You're so young, you probably don't even know what that is. But airmail (laughs) paper used to be this really, really fine, almost like tissue paper. Right. And he didn't want to spend too much money on the postage and getting it to his publisher in London. So he would type it out single-spaced on airmail paper um, and posted off to his, <laughs> to his publisher in London. <laughs> I do love that story. And now I think people don't know, you know, there's no paper involved. It's just they just shoot you off an email and say, please find Attach My Novel. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it's the competition is much tougher. So I think that's the main reason why people want to get an agent because most publishers don't look at unsolicited manuscripts anymore. Yeah. Having said that, most publishers have set up competitions, which mm. didn't exist twenty years ago. So swings and roundabouts—you know—much mm. more competition, many more people writing, but but more opportunities in that there are more competitions than ever before. Mm. Um, so that's that's one reason because it's hard to get your foot in the door without somebody to to push a barrow. Mm-hmm. Um, the other end of the spectrum are people who are very established and people like Tom Keneally, who writes a novel. Well, in fact, more than a novel a year. He usually writes a novel a year plus has a work of nonfiction on the go at the same time. And he simply does not have time to, mm. to do all the extra things that go with being a full-time writer. He doesn't have time to, you know, spend hours um, negotiating his contracts. Um, he wants to spend his time in his study writing books. Um, he wants all the other stuff that goes with that, that, that is necessary to be a professional writer to be dealt with by me tax yeah. royalties all that stuff all the boring stuff <laughs> that's what we're there for
0: <laughs> we're there for the boring stuff yeah. that's at the other end you know we're
2: there for the fun stuff as well the fun yeah. stuff is right up up front yeah
0: yeah okay so i'm hearing that it's it's sort of emerging authors and perhaps those authors uh on the other end of the scale that are uh, you know uh, needing the extra help with admin and things like that because they're are writing these huge blockbuster novels is that right
2: yeah, that's right. And the really successful writers have have deals in countries all over the world. I mean, mm. Tom, again, I'll go back to him, but he's probably been translated into... 30 languages so he's getting royalty statements and payments from territories all over the world that he really does not want to have to to spend hours trawling through to make sure they're all correct
0: no that's right yeah Mm. so we have all sorts of different writers um listening to this podcast as well Mm -hmm. as people that are just interested in in the publishing industry but if you're sort of like a mid-list writer would there be a benefit in getting an agent
2: yes um I say yes with hesitation because yeah. there are lots of writers who have very happy, secure relationships with their publishers. Yes. They never see that there's going to be a problem. They're happy with, you know, the way they've been published. They're happy with their editorial support. They're happy with the publicity and marketing. They're happy with their covers and their titles and got a really, really good relationship with their publishers. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, However, if something goes off the rails, it's always good to have somebody in your corner fighting yeah. for you because a lot of writers feel difficult, um, uncomfortable talking to their publishers if, for instance, they find a, a problem in the royalty statement. oh, I've, I've, I've trawled through my royalty statement. I've seen that you didn't pay the right royalty On the audio edition that came out three years ago, and I've worked out that you owe me twenty five thousand dollars. I mean, that's a tricky (laughs) conversation. conversation. (laughs) It is a tricky conversation, and it's much better for me to have that on behalf of the author Mm -hmm. than the author to have to have it direct with their publisher because they want their publishing relationship to remain pristine and harmonious. And Mm -hmm. when it gets into that murky territory of money, or um, you know, I hate my cover. I hate my cover. How can mm. I tell my publisher I hate my cover? I do mm. not want to hold that book up. I won't hold that book up and be proud of it because it'll, I'll always think how much I hate my cover.
3: Mm.
2: It's much easier for me to go in to bat for the author and say, look, can we come to some sort of agreement here that it's not going to be good for you to publish it that way and the author's not happy. Um, so let's let's go back to the drawing board and see if we can find something that that keeps everybody happy.
1: Mm. very interesting now, i want to circle back a bit to when you were saying you know how easy it is to write a man well not write a manuscript but to deliver it you know you're not on that typewriter anymore with the what was it mm. the onion skin paper I love oh, yeah that. onion skin paper <laughs> i love that i need to find someone i need to feel it mm, anyway you would be, be hard pressed <laughs> to find it now i think
2: <laughs> maybe some dusty old news agency in a small yeah, country maybe. town <laughs> might have someone on a back oh. shelf
1: <laughs> you just wait i'm going to search for it and i'll post it on social media <laughs> (laughs) Now I do want to know how many submissions you're getting because as you say, you know, you don't have to send it, you can just email it to you. How many submissions does Curtis Brown get a year ballpark?
2: Yeah, well, our we used to have our books open the whole time, so you could send in manuscripts at any time, but because we were getting so many, we had to make a decision to close our books for certain periods of the year. And that's Mm. usually over Christmas because we do take holidays. And I think there's a period in the middle of the year where we close our books as well. But it's all on our website. And then, in the times that we're open for submission, I checked this out with our, um, with one of our support staff the other day, who kind of logs all the submissions. And she reckons about 400 a month. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's 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 not always full length manuscripts. I mean, we don't we don't ask people to write. To send in a whole manuscript, we ask them to send in a synopsis and sample chapters. Right. Um, So you know, we because we can usually tell when we read a synopsis and a couple of sample chapters whether or not the the uh, manuscript, the full manuscript, um, is worth us calling in.
0: Mm. And if they haven't written the full manuscript, what happens then, Fiona?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, we do encourage people not to submit to us until they do have the full manuscript. But I, I, I do understand how I do understand how difficult that is. I mean, you know. If If I were on the other end of the, of this whole process, I'm sure I would want to get some sort of feedback as to wo- and to work out whether or not it's worth me mm. continuing if I've written three chapters. Fiction and non-fiction are, are very different. you know um, if, if you're sending in three chapters of a, of a novel and you've got a really good synopsis and the novel's not ready, you, you, you sort of might risk missing the moment if uh, mm. if if the agent says, "I've read the three chapters, I love the synopsis." Well sometimes personally I don't actually always read synopses because sometimes I think if it's really good, I don't I don't want to know what happens in the end. <laughs> I want the novel to, you know, that I want to experience all the suspense that should come with it. Yeah. Um, but if if we write back and say, yeah, this sounds really great, we'd love to see it. And then the author says, well, actually I'm only that's all I've written and I probably won't finish the rest for another, you know, nine months. Yeah, mm. okay. Well, we may not remember it in nine months. Yeah. Um, Nonfiction is slightly different because you can you can usually tell by synopsis and, and, a, and a, a really good outline of, an, of nonfiction whether that's going to work in the market because nonfiction mm. is so much more about what the market wants rather than the writing.
1: It's all very fascinating. How many do you read a year or a month?
2: Oh, look, because you don't I don't think about it. <laughs> uh, no, no, look, to be honest, um, you might get you might get much more information from my colleagues who do read all the submissions that come in through wow. the um, unsolicited pile. But I simply don't have time because I'm running the business yep. and I've also got a lot of clients that i've been you know looking after for 25 years so i don't really i don't want them to have to suffer because i'm i'm looking at new new material all the time but that said when something comes across my desk that's either been recommended by an existing client or or you know, if somebody I've been following is writing feature articles in magazines, I've been reading and I really like them, and then all of a sudden they contact me and I know their work from from some other forum, hmm. I can't resist, and I'm really mean, <laughs> and I don't I don't pass it on to my colleagues. I
1: say, sorry, this is <laughs> mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you've heard that.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Could you uh, of the like the 400 or so that you get a month is would you be able to take a guess at what percentage actually gain representation now th- that may not mean that they they get published ultimately but they they get represented by Curtis Brown. Uh,
2: look, you probably don't want to hear this. It's not it's not a happy <laughs> it's not a happy number.
0: Single it digits.
2: Really um probably between 5 and 10.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: And, and, and of five those, or 10? Percent, oh. percent, percent, percent okay. percent. okay, right. And of those, probably five, five or ten percent go on to get published.
0: Right. Okay. But
2: it's not as bad. It's not. It's not as bad as the <laughs> statistic. When people come to us and say, "Look, I've written this novel, but I've really got, I've already cast the the the, the Hollywood film," and go, "Well, <laughs> hang on a second, just take a step back because we haven't even got a publisher yet." Um, that's, that's when my heart sinks because I think people have, it's great to have ambition, but when they go so far ahead that they've already worked out who's going to play the lead role in the film, I have <laughs> to really hose them down <laughs> because, you know, the statistic of how many unsolicited manuscripts go on to get representation and then go on to get published is actually higher than the number of manuscripts that come in and then get published and then get optioned and <laughs> as, as a feature film and actually get made. That's yeah. probably less than yeah.
1: 1%. Well, that makes mm. sense. Yeah, But mm. I'm not surprised by those statistics. I mean, as, as small as yeah. they it, are, it's probably not surprising. What do you think, Adrian? Were you surprised? No, at those, no,
0: stats? I'm not. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at that. Um, to be honest, because you do hear a lot about um, the the difficulties or, or the challenges um, of actually making it is it, it's it's pretty tough. It's a pretty mm. tough industry, but. Um, uh, we're going to hear a question about, um, from an anonymous author later in this uh, episode, so uh, stay tuned for that, Fiona, um, because mm-hmm. we've got a lot of authors that have, that have jumped on board and slid into our DMs and have asked us some questions, <laughs> okay. um, that we, we're going to put you under the pump with that in a minute. But um, uh, another one from a, uh, an author's perspective is, um, before you're attempting to find an agent, what are your thoughts on authors going out and get, getting manuscript assessments? Are you all for it or are you like, no, it has to be my feedback, not some other random dude?
2: <laughs> well, you mentioned in my bio that I was the founding um, president of the Agents Association. Now, we set that up, um, I don't know, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And the main one of the main reasons we set it up was because anybody could hang up a shingle and call themselves a literary agent. Hmm anybody can can um, start a you know get a, a website and say I'm a manuscript assessor
3: hmm.
2: um, they don't necessarily need to have any qualifications yeah now we as agents all the agents who are members of the literary agents association have to apply uh, comply by a certain code of ethics and one of those rules is that you're not allowed to take money for manuscript assessment the right. only the only money we ever take from From our authors is commission, commission on sales we have made. Yep. So I look, I find it problematic. I know there's some really good reputable manuscript agencies, assessment agencies around, but I personally would find it really difficult to say to an author after I've taken their $400 or whatever it is, this is rubbish. (laughs) I mean I wouldn't ever say that obviously but but you know sometimes you read things and you think look this is a great book but it's or this is a great manuscript, but it's really only going to be for the family. It's going to be—it's a memoir. It's only going to be uh, relevant to the people who know the author, mm. um, and that's really hard. If they've poured heart and soul into it, and it's—it's and it's got you know compassion, understanding, and it—and it's telling a story that is that is heart wrenching for them. It's really hard to say this mm. is unpublishable. Yeah. Um. So I do find it tricky. I I say to people, if I get a submission and They've said to me, I've had this assessed by X, Y, Z Manuscript Assessment Agency. I think, well, that's all well and good, but I'm not going to take any notice of what they've said because yeah. they're going to tell you it's good yeah. because they've taken your money. Mm. <laughs> um, whereas it's, it's easier for us to say, look, we think we can sell this, so we're going to take it on, mm. or we don't think we can sell it, but we're not going to. It's not going to cost you anything for us to say that.
3: Mm.
0: It's fascinating. fascinating. It
1: is. But I think as well as an aspiring author, you probably want to give it your best shot, you know, before, and I can understand that, you know, before you send it to an agency like Curtis Brown, you want it to look as good as you can. And if you haven't had any feedback before, I guess that's where it could could be beneficial, maybe, if you're getting yeah. honest feedback, yeah. though. Yeah, but that's the yeah. problem, isn't it? Yeah. It's about yeah. getting it honest feedback. Yes, and that's not- right. Because if you show yeah. it to your sister, who you love, <laughs> she's not going to
2: tell you it's rubbish either. Your um, mum's going to go, it's amazing. And your mum's going to go, it's amazing. I know. I know. Look, I do understand the dilemma. I really do understand the dilemma. But, hmm. but that's, I'm just giving you my personal
1: opinion. Yeah, if somebody sure. says
2: um, I've had it assessed, I think, well, great. I'll, I'll give it my own assessment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the manuscript assessment, what you're saying is for the author and that's it and that it's sort of at their own risk and for their own feedback and they can take that feedback on however you like but it has nothing to do with gaining representation
2: yeah yeah that's that's what i would think but but, but I, there might be plenty of other agents who disagree with me on that score
1: now the million dollar question fiona mm. the Million dollar question mm. is there's a slush pile we know there's 400 a month around yep. about and they're not sitting on the desk anymore you have to open them up on the laptop Yep. Read on probably read on the screen or print out however many hundreds of pieces of paper. Yeah. How does a writer stand out from the slush?
2: Oh,
0: that is the million-dollar question. <laughs> that
2: is the million-dollar question. <laughs> but I have a very simple answer to that. They prove to me that they're readers before they're writers. Oh, I love hmm. this. And if they've done their homework, they will well, there's always has to be a covering letter giving a little bit of information about how they've come to write whatever they're writing. Mm-hmm. Um but if they've done their homework, they will have also looked at what other clients are represented by Curtis Brown. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to find out. They look at our website or or they read a new Leanne Moriarty and they think, oh, my God, she is the best writer I've ever read in my life, and they'll read in the acknowledgements. And she's very kindly said, I would like to thank my agent for entering this. I mean, <laughs> that, that, I always say to people, you can't be a writer unless you're a reader, and you have to read voraciously. You yeah. absolutely have to read voraciously because it's going to stand out. If I'm looking at something and they say, if I'm looking at a covering letter and it says, you know, I've read the new Meg, Meg Bignall, I've read the new Leon Mor- Moriarty, I've read Marcus, everything Marcus Uzak's written, I love Christos Jokos, I'm going to think, wow, you've done your homework. And if yeah. you really do love all those things, you, your taste and my taste are completely aligned. Mm. <laughs> so that's that's to me what makes you stand out from the pack. Mm.
0: Mm. So it's not good enough just to send a photo of yourself reading a book, Fiona. You, <laughs> you, you need to actually put a bit more thought into it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, a book without a title. That's a good idea. Just read your diary. Your journal. look, I'm reading.
0: That's not going to cut it. I get it. Okay. All right, then. Well, that was a million-dollar question. This is a billion-dollar question. (laughs) Um, We're just getting more. We're going up that tree in the quiz shows. We're getting right up to the top. Uh, What are you looking for, Fiona? A perfect manuscript, a good idea, something original, something commercial or a certain writing style or a certain genre? What are you looking for?
2: <laughs> yeah, all of the above, Adrian. Oh,
0: <laughs> I see.
2: No pressure at Nailed all. Nailed it. <laughs> Look, um, there's a huge debate going on in the country right now about sexual assault and consent. Um, I'm in the process of talking to one of the one of the three prominent young women who've been, um, you know, very vocal in this area. I think mm-hmm. I haven't got a signed contract yet, so I can't tell you who it is. I think <laughs> she's just signed up with me. But, um, you know, I've been following this debate ever since it started. You know, all all of Curtis Brown's staff were out there marching um, on the day with our placards. I knew, uh, well, I hope this is a, a watershed moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It's going to produce some really fantastic and very important books, nonfiction books. Also it may produce some novels as well on this subject. Yeah. Um, that said, if somebody is thinking, gosh, I'm going to jump on that bandwagon because I know in two years' time there's going to be a plethora of books about this subject and they're going to be the flavor of the month, it's almost too late. Mm. Mm. It's almost too late. You need to have been thinking about this and thinking, how can I contribute to the debate before now? Because mm. uh, because these writers are all being signed up now and some of the books have already been written. Some are yet to be written. Um, but it's that 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 that's a really tricky answer, I realise, because people don't want to hear that. They want to know what what subject they should be writing about. But you can't write about a subject because you think it's going to be the next best, best thing. You have mm. to write about it, something that you a subject that you're passionate about
3: hmm. and you
2: feel like you can contribute um, something to an issue that's hmm. that's sort of certainly in terms of non-fiction um again f- fiction's a bit the same I mean you know rural crime has had a its moment um, is having a moment in the sun Jane hmm. Harper wrote the dry, what four years ago I think I should know I should know I think Mm. four years ago um
0: not long ago it's already a movie as well
2: yeah yeah um but she was sort of even though there's some older Australian particularly male writers like um Gary Disher and people who've been writing rural crime for a long time who will say well we've been doing this for 30 years and Mm. you know she comes along and just (laughs) upends Mm. the genre um and gets gets a lot of attention but uh, she has spawned a real movement. There's a lot of people who've been dabbling around the edges of crime and are now thinking, "Oh, right, that's how mm. you do it." Mm. I think she did it brilliantly because she's looking. She was looking at Australia from an outsider's perspective. She's she's British. She's a journalist, so she's a good writer anyway, and mm-hmm. she respects a deadline. Gosh, we love that. <laughs> <laughs> Another hot tip for writing. <laughs> but she also. I think she was able to look at at outback australia with fresh eyes i mean even though many of us have never been to outback australia we've grown up with those photographs and the words that associated with outback australia and she's come in and she's just described it in a totally fresh way from a from a slightly outsider's perspective and i think she's that's what really caught people's attention Mm. um her her descriptions and her Ability to create what's almost a character in her novels, yeah. Um, with Outback Australia, so um, I can't even remember what the question was. I think <laughs> what was the question? Well, no, genre. I was wondering well, she, what, well, she, what she, you're looking yeah, for. She's 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 writing genre um, or crime, but it's mm. like almost it's almost too late to say for a, for a writer to say, well, okay, I can see how Jane Harper's really successful, so I'm going to write in that area mm. because like it's already become really crowded mm, so besides
1: yeah. the perfect manuscript and the being an exceptional reader and writing really well respect a deadline respect the deadline you've <laughs> also got to predict two years ahead oh, <laughs> i know exactly <laughs> i
2: know it's impossible it's impossible it's impossible <laughs> what you want to be is the person that the, the, the jane harper that starts a whole movement um yeah. but, you know we said that about rural romance you know mm. um who was the big the big author who started Rachel Treasure. I mean she was the first person to really make a big a big splash in that genre, and then all of a sudden they were, hundreds of books in that it's still going actually there's still a lot of successful writers in that area but yeah what you want to do is be the first one in the new well who knows what it's going to be we've done erotica we've done crime we've done rural romance what Mm. what are we going to do next i don't know
0: (laughs) whatever it is uh yeah (laughs) you'll find (laughs) out (laughs) first on this podcast okay (laughs)
1: It'd be interesting actually to, to come back in two years to this episode. Yes. And see if we, we guessed it. That would yeah. be very interesting.
2: Mm. Well, if you guess it, can you tell me? Or just write <laughs> something and then you know I'll take it on and take it to the publisher. Excellent. Done. <laughs> Lock it
0: in. <laughs> so Fiona, how do you know when something you've read has that X factor that you're looking for?
2: I don't know. I I know when I read something that I just find extraordinary that speaks to me for some reason i mean um this has nothing to do with any of my clients but i love max porter english writer max porter and i followed you know max porter's work he wrote a book called lanny a couple of years ago which i thought was absolutely wonderful he's very literary but he i follow him on twitter and he um i'm gonna see if i can find this on my phone actually he tweeted something about a writer I had never heard of um, called Kevin Barry, who was actually shortlisted for the um, Booker Prize with a novel called Last Boat to Tangier many years ago. Well, probably five years ago. I'm never going to be able to find it. Um, (laughs) But he... So I I looked... I I follow him on Twitter and he just tweeted a description of a novel a collection of short stories by Kevin Barry mm. and i read it and i just thought oh my god it was the it was a here it is i found it i found it okay this is Good this word. is how he described his collection of short stories by an author i had never read and never heard of bliss lusty warm horny wise funny as fuck romantic <laughs> Prose like unholy golden grail liquor, luscious, sad, sligo, ecstatic, pure, swaggering, pagan genius. I mean, how could you not want to read a book that was described that
1: way? Wow. So I want to live a life exactly like that.
2: Yeah. Well, it's just, <laughs> and I and it's it's I can't describe, I can't explain why that spoke to me so loudly, except wow. that I I I know the person who wrote it, and I I have great respect for him. But what is it that makes us respond to prose? I don't know. I hmm. really don't know. But I just read that, and I thought, oh my god, wow. I have to go and buy that book immediately. And in fact, I bought about five copies of it because <laughs> I read it, and it it lived up to his description, and I've. Had to keep on giving it away to people oh god you've got to read that i'm being such a pain in the neck They go, yeah i read one story it was really dark and i put it down well, okay right <laughs> but i can't tell you what that x factor is mm. that's why it's called the x factor yeah, nobody yeah. can explain it it just i've never come across prose like that um in any of my clients books mm. because it's irish and it has a particular mm. a, a voice and song music but um i know when i read something that really it just gets you it just gets Mm. you it gets you in the the heart and the blood and the
1: everywhere i Mm. guess it's like a reader you know you can go yeah that was a good book that was a good book and then you go oh my that book just got Mm. me so i guess it's it's that thing. yeah but that
2: but that is absolutely true too because Danny as you say it's it it gets you but it doesn't get everybody. Yeah. You know it, it, and that's well, what I have to keep on,
1: too, isn't it?
2: Yeah. That's what I have to keep on saying when I when I reject things and I don't like rejecting things. I know how I could never do it. I could never write an 80,000 word novel. I know how hard it is because hmm. I've seen how people agonize over it. I could never do it. So I'm very aware that my opinion is purely my opinion and it's absolutely subjective and somebody else might 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 completely disagree with me. And that's what people have to remember. They're getting a rejection from one person who doesn't respond to it the way they wanted them to, but there are probably eight other people who will.
1: Hmm. and you do hear those stories from you know quite established or successful authors now and they've had hundreds of rejections going or found the person that wanted to represent or publish them so
2: of course well you know when you know when harry potter was published and we all without in those days we used to send out we probably we're probably emailing people but in those days i think it was we we kept a, a file of all our rejections and we all desperately went through our file oh my god we haven't got a rolling in here did we reject her did we reject her phone
1: the filing cabinet (laughs) don't tell anybody ditch it oh that is funny (laughs) i want to ask you we we talked a little bit about Um, you know every time you read a book about how to write you know there's a part in there where it says you know you need to have a social media presence you need to have relationships with bookshops etc how important is this when you're looking at a manuscript it's an unpublished author or aspiring writer but you think oh they've got a bit of something else that might be able to sort of sell their book is that important?
2: Um, I don't think there'd be any writer now who wouldn't have a social media profile it's yeah. it's um, one of those things. You you publishers really do expect it, but if somebody comes and says, "I've got you know fifty thousand followers on Twitter or Instagram or whatever," um, they can't expect that those fifty thousand followers are going to go out and spend thirty dollars yeah. on a book. <laughs> um, right. You know, it's it's one of those things. People come to us and say, "Wow, look at how, look at my social media profile. It's huge." And yeah, that's great, but social media is different. We like you to have a presence, and we like to be able, The publishers like to be able to use that presence to market and publicise the book when it's finally published. But mm. um, yeah, to to actually use it in a pitch and assume that all your followers are going to spend thirty dollars on your book is <laughs> is mm. you know a bit of a a, a long go. Mm.
3: Um,
2: bookshops, well, if you're a reader, you're going to have a relationship with a bookshop, and mm. that's that's I, I would say that's more important than anything. Mm. Um, and particularly, look if 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 writers don't read and buy books, there's not going to be any bookshops to sell your book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <Good> <laughs> I, I was. I was once at a... Um, Alan and I run a really good um, writers' um, school called the Faber Writers' Academy, Faber yeah. Academy, and I remember being there one year. They invite the agents to come and listen to the graduates read some of their work. Um, and I remember being there one year. It was very early on in the piece, and this... <laughs> lovely lovely person stood up and he said I I lost my job a couple of years ago and I thought I really wanted to write a novel um, so I came and I enrolled in this course and I found it really useful but um, I realized I'm not a writer but the best thing about it is that I found out I was a reader he said I've gone back to reading books and I'm now reading a novel a week and and I thought, oh, that is fantastic. What a great thing. He's the man who's going to support the bookshop that's going to be selling the books that all these other graduates are, are going to be trying to get published. So I wanted to hug him
1: so say that's the best story I've ever heard. <laughs> well, yeah. as you say, you know, you're not going to have any writers if you don't have any readers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah
0: exactly uh now we've come to we've come you've given us so much inside information which is what is this this that's what the spin-off series this podcast publishing insiders, is all about uh so thank you fiona but we have to put you on the spot with our anonymous author who has who <laughs> who heard that we're speaking to uh these these wonderful uh pub- publicity identities like yourself and they've got a question for you so are you ready. ready for the question from the anonymous author I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. Good. You sounded confident. I like that. All right, here we go. (laughs) So this has come in from an anonymous author, and it's a question about agents.
2: I'd love to hear how agents help authors think about their long-term careers.
0: Ooh, how agents help authors think about their long-term careers. And, and, And just to follow up on that. That might be another reason why you you should be looking for an agent as an author because they probably do have your long term interests at heart, don't they?
2: Well, we do because that's how we make a living. Um, yeah. We we want to be we're there for the long haul and we want to have authors, um, you know, stay with the agency for their for their entire career. Um, of course, there are times when you know the relationship might break down for one reason or another, but they're fairly rare. Um, so yes, we we are there for the long haul. So. How do we help people think about their long-term careers? We advise and guide them. We try as far as, far as we can to encourage long-term relationships with publishers. Mm-hmm. But if, a, if a, one of my clients had a very good relationship with his editor slash publisher, um, she was at a, a big multinational company, had published three of his books. Then she left to go to an independent company and um, my author wanted to go with her Mm -hmm. and there was already a contract in place. I said, well, this is tricky because you've already signed a contract with the company, not with that individual. He said, I know that, but I want you to get me out of that contract because I want to go with her because she's the person who understands my work better than any. And it was a long, tricky negotiation for me to extricate him from that contract Mm. But then to get to get him um, a contract with a new publisher, and since then it's been very harmonious and happy and very productive. There's been probably seven novels altogether. Mm. Um, so that's one. That's one thing we can do. We can help nurture those relationships and help authors get over those hurdles if and when they arise.
0: Mm. And would you ever sit down with an uh, with an author and you know like that typical job interview question? Where do you see yourself in five years' time? Do you ever do that sort of gear, Fiona?
2: Yes, I do. I do that a lot, <laughs> and, and we've signed up a, a, an author just last year—a a young, really smart, bright young woman who was working. She'd done law degree. She was working in corporate law. Didn't like it. COVID came along. She moved back home, and she thought, "Oh, look, I've secretly been trying to write a novel. If I can't do it now, when I'm living at home and have no expenses." I'll never do it. And she did it and it was Mm. absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, And we sold it and it will be published in October this year. And I actually happened to run into her in the park this morning and she's (laughs) a really lovely, bright um, woman, very humble though, very modest. And we had a chat in the park and she's now, the, the novel that she wrote, which for which we signed her up, is, um, you know, well and truly finished editing now. The cover's been done and everything. So she's sort of in this hiatus. And I actually said to her, so how's the new one coming along? (laughs) And a lot of authors just go, what? Are you kidding me? She went, actually, I'm 50,000 words in. I said, that is fantastic. I am so happy to hear it. She's given up law. She wants to be a full-time novelist. Not wow. that she would ever have admitted that to me because she would have thought that, had, that sounded, you know, egotistical. But she will. She will make it as a writer because she's dedicated, very talented and um, and understands what it takes. And that is to sit down, you know, what do they say? Sit down put, and open a vein.
1: <laughs> right. Lead all over the time. Yeah, is that Hemingway? Exactly,
2: exactly. I don't know. I think it's been attributed to a lot of writers,
1: but I think so. They just it, say it Hemingway says right. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> oh, that is a fantastic story to end uh, this wonderful interview. Thank you, Fiona, for sharing all your insight into the world of of agents and um, and hopefully the listeners have picked up a lot of hot tips.
2: Well, thank you for having me. It's been good fun, and it's it's uh, it's often you know quite quite um therapeutic to go back and remember why i do what i do and Mm. the reason i do what i do is because i love it so i really enjoyed
1: talking to you danny and adrian and all the best to you thank you so much it has been an incredible insight and i'm a huge fangirl of curtis brown i've spoken to a lot of their authors so it's such a privilege to speak to you tonight fiona
2: oh thanks for having me
0: thanks fiona